Welcome, everyone. This is Mia Ferraletto, publisher of New Observations Magazine. Welcome to the New Observations podcast. Before we begin, I would just like to share um, my own reminder, which is in a few weeks, my membership and subscription to uh, Unknown Country needs to be renewed. And I wanted to encourage all of you listeners um, to subscribe to Whitley's channel. He is making such an enormous contribution here. Uh, sharing all of these incredible interviews uh, and and speakers with you. And the Library for Unknown Country has such depth of information and knowledge. Uh, if you are not a, a signed-up member, I encourage you to do today and support Whitley in his wonderful work. Thank you for joining us. Today we have the distinct honor of welcoming Paula Horn-Mullen to our show. Hello, Paula. Welcome to New Observations. Hi. Good day. I, my name now, actually, is Paula Looking Horse, Zion Orville. Um, I have been married for a while now, but I use Horn-Mullen because I've been known, you know, for so long by that and people don't know that I changed my name, so I use both names at times. So thank you for the introduction. Oh, it's my pleasure to have you here, and I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you and Chief Orville again for coming to the conference uh, in Wasta almost a month ago now. It's so hard to believe how fast time travels. Um, As speakers, your presence was an amazing addition to our event, and everyone took so much uh, information and energy away uh, from the two of you. Th- thank you again. It was just amazing for us to have you join us. Oh, thank you for having us. It was really a pleasure meeting everybody from all over, which I was surprised. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even as far away as Hawaii. Um, it's, it yes. was, it was quite amazing with the virus. We're, we're all troopers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was nice to meet everybody and everybody was so pleasant and nice. I, I, we really enjoyed ourselves getting out oh. and going for a ride across South Dakota was a pleasure as well. <laughs> uh, that's great. Well, you, um, and Chief Or Orville had just returned, uh, from a trip, is, isn't that right, for um, yes. Peace yes. and Prayer, um, World Peace and Prayer? Tell us about that. Well, uh, we had a, we worked really hard for World Peace and Prayer Day for 25 years now. And, of course, this year was supposed to be in Quebec. And, at, you know, with this virus that happened, you know, we were, we didn't even realize it was 25 years. I, I had stated it was 24. I had to correct that. But um, at the last minute, I said, what are we going to do, you know? And everybody was doing Zoom and in these podcasts. So we contacted uh, uh, um, Smoke Signals, Indigenous Smoke Signals. That's with Myron Dewey. We asked for help. And 
so Orville said, well, are we going to do it from here, home, or what? And then he said, I'd like to return to the first place that we had, World Peace and Prayer Day, which was their lodge, known as Devil's Power. And for years, we've been trying to change the name because um, ever since that time in 1996, because of the um, issue that it mistakenly got named Devil's Power because the guy that was sending letters to the colonel or whatever, he said, it's a place where the uh, uh, savages have their church. They call their church or place of worship. That's what it was. And so, um, and it's a tower, so the colonel documented it as Devil's Tower. And in actuality, all the um, people that were communicating around with the tribes, they all knew it as Bear Lodge or their traditional name. So Devil's Tower stuck. So, you know, since 96, we've been campaigning to try to change it and and the tourism around there just said it cost too much money. And then the Rotary Department uh, clubs came in and, and tried to assist and even giving money to help them change their logos or their signs or their Internet. They would raise money to assist in the change. But they're, they love the name Devil's Tower, and so we've had different support, and that's another whole topic. But I wanted to educate about that because he wanted to go back there because it was a place that the bundle was brought, the bundle that he takes care of. And if you go there, it'll up at the museum at the top, it it has the story of, of uh, Orville's journey there and what his feelings are as far as the bundle being brought there. So we went there and Senator Driscoll with the KOA, um, actually hosted us at the KOA because that's where we stayed. And in back of the KOA, he has three uh, teepees that tell the story of Bear Lodge. And um, apparently we didn't know uh, that in 1996, the um, uh, Park Service wouldn't oblige to have a gathering, but Senator Driscoll, a Republican, stepped in and allowed the people to cross into the federal park through through there because he owns land on the other side and they had a gathering. That's where the first gathering was. So because we were doing a major internet um, uh, hosting um, Zoom or different things, or satellite, um, he said that we can have a sacred fire in back of those three teepees in back of KOA. And it was beautiful. We set up our own teepee. It was below a hill right by a by a brook. Um, and you just look across the creek there is, you know, the tower. So we were right up against um, the federal park there. And um, the federal park gave us the permit, but it was, it, they had so many stipulations and we couldn't, be around the fire, you know, as much, and um, somebody had to stay there. But it was only one vehicle could be by the fire. It wasn't, it wasn't so welcoming. And so we completed our mission, and we had all the people in the world where we've had most of them, I should say. Some of them didn't have access 
the internet um where we planted the seed uh of world peace and prayer day june 21st since 1996 um so we probably got maybe half of the 24 sites which was you know new zealand and south africa japan and um, right now we're uploading them because we had problems there with the Wi-Fi and the satellite connection, but we're uploading all the videos that they submitted to us, and they'll be on our website, worldpeaceandprayer.com. Oh, that's fantastic. So everyone will get to see the different um, uh, ceremonies that took place around the globe. Right, and they just contributed and told the history and because some people are gone now, they were elders. They talked about them and gave them recognition, and and talked about the environmental impacts that are still going on in in different territories that they prayed about, and of course the protection of sacred sites. The white buffalo calf woman first appeared um, at at uh, Bear Lodge. Is is that correct? Um, north of there. Uh, apparently uh, somewhere north of there. It, it was always told that it was around that territory, yes. Mm-hmm. C- could you um, share a little bit ab- about the appearance of the white buffalo calf woman and the giving of the pipe to the Lakota sure. people? Sure. Um, just a, a brief history of it is that I... It, there came a time where the people, the buffalo all disappeared. And, of course, that was that was the people's subsistence to survive, you know, for warmth, their teepees, um, everything we use for the buffalo, you know, the rib cage for sleds, the, you know, clothing, um, the teachings that the buffalo, they, they, they help each other when one is hurt. They, um, everything we... We learned from the buffalo, and so what happened is they disappeared and they start starving. And um, and so during that time, these two um, strong warriors or hunters went out one more time looking, and from a distance, and uh, a cloud came and and uh she came out of the cloud and it was a beautiful woman um and in white buckskin and she uh, came to approach them and one of them had bad thoughts thinking you know i you know i'd like to take her for my wife and the other one knew that she was a sacred being so he he humbled himself to the ground and knelt down and the other one um stood up and and she read his mind and she asked him to approach her and so he went towards her and when he got close that cloud came down and and uh enveloped him and when it lifted he was bones so he went straight on to the spirit world and they say there was there was um um the other warrior uh, was humbled and she told him to go back to his people and she was going to be coming with a gift. And she said, um, you know, tell them what you've seen, 
but don't make more of what it is and don't make less of what it is. And that's probably the first teaching of, of truth. And um, so he went back and he he was told to prepare specifically, you know, a tripod and a teepee and how she said. And she came in a zigzag um, down the hill. And they always say the zigzag portrays, you know, the energy, you know, that um, depicting energy, how it is. And um, so she came with a bundle and um and it was the gift of a pipe and with those that pipe were seven values and seven sacred ceremonies for our people to survive in the future and to survive and um and she told them how to take care of the pipe and um only the good should see the pipe and the bad should leave it alone and all the values and virtues of of humanity to survive was pretty much in those seven sacred uh, values. And then the seven sacred rites were the ceremonies that um, we participate in um, that uh, bring um, boundaries to our people of how we can attain and follow a, a path of uh, endurance to live a good life. And then she returned, and then when she returned, she left zigzag again, and then when she reached the top of the hill, she knelt down and became, rolled over and became a black, and again a red, and then the the last time, she was a white small buffalo calf and ran over the hill, so her Indian name became White Buffalo Calf Woman. Such a beautiful story. Um, absolutely inspiring and, and bringing in all the, the four-legged, um, you know, the significance of the buffalo to the people, uh, but also the connection between man and animals, which um, it seems like in the past 20 to 25 years, uh, humanity is really discovering in in a new way almost for the first time um the extent of what animals do for us <clears throat> on all levels um is there a particular time of year that the pipe is brought out um it usually is uh orville decides uh and i think it's usually around sundance time he has brought it out but he he put it away for four years now um it's probably in its second year it's two more years and the reason why he put it away is because there's so much confusion and exploitation of ceremonies now um our people have a lot of our people have contracted the disease of the mind so to speak that society you know has imposed on them and and they started trying to use our ceremonial way of life to make money or to, you know, when they don't have a right to do certain things um, and they gave themselves rights and they, you know, they fool people. And so he kind of had enough of complaints of people that got hurt and he put it away to help people to think about 
the importance of this gift that is given to us um, to try to attempt to pray and bring things back to order. Which is exactly what we need right now as the chaos seems to be building on an almost daily basis. Right. Um, Paula, tell tell us about the amazing project you have planned. Well, um, just to let you know how this came to be really is, you know, going up on a reservation in my time, I'm, you know, 64 this year, and uh, it, we grew up in an era where our parents start boarding school um parents and a lot of our ways were outlawed and it wasn't until like 1978 the freedom of religion happened and that's my era of becoming a teenager and so a lot of the um, traditional way of life was pretty much outlawed and we're our parents were forced to colonialize and you know there was um, you know, efforts by the government to snuff out, you know, who we are as a people. And so during my time in the 70s, um, there was a way, an awakening because so much of our land was stolen and taken and our teachings uh, as well that were, um, uh, you know, uh, forgotten or, or, or in secret. Um, because you couldn't even have ceremony. A lot of our um, medicine men were in prison. There's a there's a place in south of Sioux Falls, South Dakota, called Canton, South Dakota, where they had an institution. And so a lot of the medicine people, psychologists, had guidelines. Do you see things? You know, and they if they said yeah, they would. They wouldn't lie, and they would take them and pretty much imprison them, and they start doing tests on them. And so a lot of our medicine people were imprisoned there, and they used them kind of like guinea pigs to take their brains, you know, after they they kill them. And so there's a whole golf course down in Canton. Actually, Orville helped release their spirits probably about five years ago. Um, he released all of them, and... They came from different tribes as well. It was kind of a prison ward for medicine people. Um, but they were uh, we were surprised because some of those spirits were young children. So I don't know. I guess some children had gifts back then. I don't know why they would be in there, but those were the spirits he released as well. Um, but in any case, so they beat the Indian out of us, or I don't even like the Indian. They beat our way of life out of us. So in the seventies, it was an awakening, and at first, you know, I joined um, the American Indian Movement, and I was kind of a rebel even joining that because I would say, "Well, we're not even American, and we're not even really Indian. You know, how come we're naming our organization after America?" America? But with this American Vespucci, and, and you know, Columbus right. was looking for India, and we're Indians. And so, some of the 
leaders <laughs> were kind of irritated with me, but I was kind of like, you know, it was a, that's when I started going to Red Schoolhouse. It was the first native control school in the whole continent probably, you know, teaching how to, um, you know, our accurate history because the history books that I grew up with were so um, uh, uh, untruthful and also it, it taught racism. And I remember going to school in Brown Valley, Minnesota. And I was, my grandmother wouldn't let me go to a boarding school and I had, I was one of the few native kids that went to um, this all-white public school, and um, and you know we were great all the way through school until we reached sixth grade in history books, and then all of a sudden I was a savage, and all of a sudden you know I all this inaccurate, terrible, heathen stories were in these old history books. I don't know if anybody has any of those old history books, but they've changed a lot of them and taken them out of circulation, but they were terrible. It taught kids how to be racist. And everybody changed towards me except one blonde-haired, blue-eyed friend of mine that refused to conform to, you know, history books. And, you know, she kind of protected me. And um, we became an example of going above and beyond, but it didn't stop the racism. But I left early on because it was got so bad and then I went to Red Schoolhouse and that was American Indian Movement organized school um, that was taught with uh, Eddie Benton Benet who's Anishinaabe Ojibwe and we had teachers from all over come in and Philip Deere from Oklahoma and um, it, you know just different people that Elders became our teachers, and then the University of Minnesota students came in and crammed us with all the reading, writing, arithmetic, thirty yards, so to speak, so we could pass the St. Paul Public School curriculum guidelines. And there was four of us, and I was one of the four, and we actually um, accredited you know, Red Schoolhouse, so it could be um, a another school that our people could go to but learn our real history and culture and our our entertainment was, even through the weekend, we would go and feed and sing and dance and learn how to, you know, songs and make outfits and um, it was, and the older, uh, us, you know, teenagers, we would teach the young ones with the students, with the teachers that um, they had. So we had a responsibility to go one-on-one with the young students that came in, you know, um, K-5, you know, to teach them to read and write. That was our way of giving back. And so it was almost our second home, and a lot, I think it was our home, actually, and so I became, 1976, I became a graduate, and I always remember us four students, we sat down and we said, what are we going to do now? And, of course, we wished for colleges, native colleges, which exist today, but it was different because the native colleges today um, are 
kind of mimics of the universities to get accreditation, but um, it was an idea of teaching and, and being an institute of designing our own education. And so we got our, our wish of Native colleges owned by different different um, tribes, but I remember saying, you know, wouldn't it be neat if we uh, learned plants and learned about culture and have emersion, like uh, everybody speaks the language and um, and it kind of immersed back into what the boarding school did to our parents was, you know, beat the Indian out of out of them or the Dakota out of my mothers and our mothers and fathers, but to be opposite, to embrace back into education of who we are as a people and our culture in um, learning those seven sacred rights, learning um, the proper way of earning uh, who we are as a people. And so anyway, that was, kind of thrown around we just visiting because we're new graduates and so throughout time and after I start working with Orville with World Peace and Prayer Day um, and um, actually before I start working with him I uh, was you know I had a dream to give thanks back to the sacred stone which is Pipestone and so by the moccasin telegraph without internet and of course AT&T was a dollar a minute you couldn't afford 300 people showed up and so we did a thank you in Pipestone Minnesota for all the stone that was getting taken you know for tourism and then we had a ceremony and then the ceremony it said the blood of our people is not for sale and so the young people, myself, I organized a run to all the reservations to bring attention that the people should protect the sacred stones. So I think that's why Orville sought me out because I was bringing attention to a sacred site. And so the first World Peace and Prayer Day in 96, he asked for my help. And I and my family, my son mostly, um, my first son, uh, went and visited the tribes where um, Bear Lodge was important because that's the first World Peace and Prayer, uh, not, yeah, World Peace and Prayer Day in 1996 to the Crow, the Arapaho, the Cheyenne. Um, we had to give an offering to go and pray there, um, as proper protocol. So we completed that for him. And then later on, he, you know, we, the third year we had World Peace and Prayer Day in Pipestone. And then, then he just wanted to work with me more. And then, of course, after that, you know, we we worked very close and um, throughout the years of traveling the four directions to um, Ireland. After we went on Turtle Island here for four five years, we went to Ireland, South Africa, um, Australia, Japan, and then we had a thank you here, and we kept going. You know, New Zealand. So twenty four years passed. So, but during like the third year um in in um helping him with pipestone i or maybe it was the fourth year um i had a a dream again and it was of a building like a medicine wheel and so i got up in the middle of the night and and i start typing 
on, I just learned computer. I was kind of self-taught by my friend that was a webmaster for wolakota.org, our first webmaster, Elaine Martinez, and, and uh, she taught me how to use computer over the phone. And um, and and so I I start typing and and it was would have would have you know what if we built something like we talked about in in 1976 and and it was like the first draft I think one of the I don't know if I sent it to you but it was the first draft of the West direction we would we would teach about sustainable uh, sustainable development you know how to survive with wind energy and solar energy and growing food, you know, going back to the future, I guess. And then right. the north the north would be, you know, tapping into our right brain because there's a balance between our left and right brain and our right brain appreciates color and design, which is all the visual of Mother Earth, you know, that tribes throughout the world um, design their own cultural attire after how they viewed their mother, which is the earth and and the colors they used. You know, Woodland used a lot of, you know, flowers and, you know, the plains used a lot of the sun because that was predominant. And, you know, you go to those that lived near the ocean. It was, you know, praising the animals, the whale and, you know, the different um, designs and, you know, throughout the world, you know, and in, um, in Africa and in Ireland that's what we learned actually when we went to the different countries the cultural people of their design so they're very right brain appreciating the earth and um and so what we would do is with the north is to teach that tap to help the right brain get stronger and create uh media um our own uh, what, I don't know if anybody knows about Aboriginal People's Television Network, but APTN, they are really advanced because the government in Canada really gives a lot of money towards First Nations people. So they have the, an extraordinary television network of, you know, um, showing different um, cultures in Canada to their own, you know, modeling to their own uh, uh, soap, soapbox <laughs> movies to uh-huh. major films, and you know, and so I thought, you know, rather than reinventing it, how come, how come we can't have a station down here that taps into it? We are one people, and right? Absolutely. So I thought, and so I thought we would find a way to tap into bringing, um, advocating tapping in and enhancing and sharing our culture with Canada, which is relative. And and they've already done all the legwork where it could be shown down here. and But creating our own and um, radio um, uh, station we would create and then our own museum and then our own um, art department from traditional to fine art, you know, um, tanning hides to sculpting, you know, throwing clay, um, painting, whatever. And then to the east is knowledge. So it would be getting getting up to par with reading, writing, arithmetic, a uh, whole computer department, 
And if anybody wants to go through and because a lot, what happens is a lot of these schools, um, tribal schools or public schools, they just pass kids through and then they say, go away, here's some uh, scholarships and go to this university and that university and then take out this loan and here's your FAFSA and, and they are not up to par with other um, uh, non-tribal schools and they flunk out. They don't get the support. So then they come home in debt from loans and they end up, you know, trying to survive and push back on the reservation, not having a chance. So this East Department would, it would be um, instructors to bring them up to par to help them to um, revisit the public school education or um, advance them, you know, to other uh, types of education. Maybe they want to be a doctor, a nurse, or or a lawyer, you know, like training them on the job training to bring them up to par, what they've got to uh, to bring their skills up to be able to go on to a major university so that they could keep up and, you know, assist themselves. And and then with that, you know, um, the two floors, it would be two floors. I, I had actually designed a, a medicine wheel building and I showed it to my tribe and they made a, a um, arch tribal office without the second floor I was so upset but they're my tribe I can't sue them <laughs> but I had a so I was like oh this is what it would have looked like you know huge rotunda you know but you guys took it for me and of course anyway but the bottom floor would have been I I always I was trained and I know this sounds weird but I was trained in Montessori when I was young um I worked in Seneca Nation in Allegheny New York and um I I really like that that type of training. Maybe there's a better one, but it was what I was trained in and I really liked it that kids played with something and then when they were done they put it back. Just that that training with young children, I think today it's almost a reflection of their life when they just don't put it back. They just throw it out there and don't you know, not be responsible. Right, absolutely. But, and and so I just thought I'm going to design this because if 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 uh, kids came, um, I shouldn't say kids, but young adults came with children, you know that they would be able to while they're in school, you know they could bring their children here and they would be taught the language. Then the south direction is is where it would start from and. The South Direction would be administration, of course, and um, physical ed, um, swimming pool, weights, uh, counseling. Um, and in order to get in the school, you have to come through the South. It, it would be um, 100 kids. And I've always, I know this sounds weird and it might not even turn out that way, but I've always, I, I read this thing about the 100 monkey theory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I thought, I would start out with 100 kids, you know, and because that monkey theory where they had the coconuts and, you know, it was radiation and then they 
wash the coconuts and eat the inside. First it was one, it was two, and then by the time it reached 10, it just like the whole island as soon as it, oh, it reached 100. It was like almost automatic education with all the monkeys. It just spread like like nothing. So I thought, well, I'm going to do that, you know, and I'm going to make it 100 in, you know, 50 male and 50 female. And um, so they would have to come in with uh, application, and it would be an application questionnaire of being really serious. And, um, you know, it isn't like any other institution where you mess up and you go to the guidance counselor and, um, and uh, uh, you know, all that stuff. So... I, oh, my grandchildren are trying to buzz in here. Excuse me. Um, so it would be more of you You have to um, be able to. Oh, my goodness. Are you still there, ma'am? I am, yes. Is everything okay? You know what? Yes, it, it's my grandchildren. I, I, You know when you got grandchildren? They're, yeah. like, persistent, and they're just, like, I'm declining and they're like redialing. Apologies. So, oh no, no so, problem. So what I wanted to say is, um, uh, when they would they would have to apply, and they would have to prove that they were were um, going to follow the rules and be alcohol and drug free, and they would have to. Um, create an awareness that they they really had to um, be able to uh, how do you say how do I say this I don't I didn't feel that it was appropriate to um, you know what I'm really getting distracted by my grandchildren <laughs> <laughs> well how about if you if you um if you tell them, if you tell them that you're on a call, <laughs> on okay, it doing so an interview. The next one I'm going to text them. I'm going to say I'm on a conference call. Okay, I am on a conference call. I am on a business call. Stop. There. You're you're doing an important <laughs> interview. <laughs> yeah. And it's probably my grandson that doesn't know how to read, right? Oh um, dear. <laughs> the importance the importance of of family in right. in the Dakota Nakota Lakota tradition children are the well, most you know what it's like that in many families you know it it doesn't matter because it there there are there are families all our families of of the colors of the two legged they're important in some us as parents you know and oh so absolutely Absolutely. And that's what this school would teach is the importance exactly. of being being a mother and a father, you know, because that was a part of coming of age and, and one of our sacred seven sacred rights that is they, you know, teach them how, you know, that gift of bringing life, whether it's a male or female, 
um, you know, what is your responsibility to uh, this gift that you're going to have to create life? That's what coming of age is about. And and so, and that, that would be the questionnaire in the South Direction. It would be, you know, what is the, um, what is important to you? Um, and questions like if you have a problem with somebody, you know, you're going to be um, going to school with, how are you going to resolve that? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you're you're aware that there is no room for hatred. There is no room for lying or jealousy. You know, all those things you have to commit to um, being alcohol and drug free. You cannot cuss here. Are you, you know, you can't use those words that inflict um, and bring in negative energy. So all of those are going to be education just to apply. And so when they come in, they are schooled to be able to um, bring about that awareness of um, I need to, I need to, uh, how do you say, I need to be a good person. And so when they they apply, um, you know, there'll be questions about their personal life. Um, and there'll be a counselor and there'll be an intake because what we want are success stories. And yes, there's going to be problems. And if there is problems, they have to go to a counselor. And, you know, and part of that counseling is knowing that uh, ceremonial intervention to assist in whatever problems or, or um, that they've bench you in life so um what then that south direction that first direction before we build that building we will start with the healing with horses so that program will be already in place and that's so that's our first step towards creating white buffalo institute tatanka scott is you know orville for years you know, 36 years, I don't know how long he's been leading the Bigfoot ride and the Mankato 38 ride, then the uh, water and MMIW ride and walk. This is his last year, this coming year. And now he wants to, uh, we're building over by uh, a place called Shicha Hollow. And Shicha Hollow is got, it's also a horse canyon and it's just full of medicines and trail rides and plants and it's thick and it's a state park but it used to be actually owned by one of my uncles and grandpas and the state took it away because it's so beautiful and but we have access to it for our ceremonial stuff and my land um, is not far from there and so what we want to do is create not just from point A to point B during the Bigfoot ride or Mankato ride. But um, working, he wants to stay home and he wants to work with horses. He wants to build, you know, get fencing and a barn and um, get help to, because one of the things that he experienced on the Bigfoot ride is these kids, when they get attached to horses, you know, there's not much going on on the reservation. And so they look forward to training their horse or being around horses so that they can go from this endurance ride of 
you know, in below zero weather and go from point A to point B. But the only problem after all these years is the lack of supervision that has come about because it's gotten so big. And when you go, when you have kids that don't have access to um, Christmas or um, there's a, a chip on their shoulder or even um, uh, problems with alcohol or drugs in their community and they get on these rides and uh, they end up um, um, on these rides and then they bring that that energy with them and they've got a chip on their shoulder where not even elders can correct them and that's what we're seeing and so the the good part that we've created the last four years is the MMIW and the water walk we had a water walk with the with from Sisseton here to Mankato is that we we mandated that there is no records of pedophilia of people that can come on the ride because we we have children that check out of school during that time and walk with us or some of them will ride with us and we pray for the water and the murdered and missing. So that's been a real um, blessing for us these last four years because we had more control. So now Orville is getting up in age and he wants to take this opportunity to to finish now and um and I'm sure he'll still help with his horses on if kids want to borrow his horses and stuff. But he wants to focus more on year-round um, bringing children out and just spending time with horses, um, taking people with knowledge on these horse rides through the can- Horse Canyon and Shicha Hollow, um, it, where it's thick with medicines and herbs, and teach them. Um, I, I always tried to do that, actually, when I was a student at Red Schoolhouse because, you know, the elders start showing us different medicines and I said we should get one of those back then you know we should get one of those photo albums with the plastic and the wax you know how they put old photos right and and um and uh get a notebook and we'll go with the elders and then we'll offer tobacco for the leaf and we'll press it down and then we'll write in there what it's for and, and so we'll always have our own knowledge book you know and you know that's it never materialized because we back then we couldn't come up with the money for all the photo albums. <laughs> but, you know, we were a pretty poor school, but we we always had food. And so anyway, I thought, well, now everybody's got iPhones. You know, they could take a picture and then right. record it right down. And you know, but what an know. amazing activity for all of yeah. your 100 <laughs> students to make their own knowledge book as part right. of their experience that that would be extraordinary but that's what the what the the shukawakam project that i sent you that's that that's the first step before we make the school is to create that um uh relationship with horses because they are healers and um and so it'd be our first school you know um and then of course in the future because to build that school that I described to you is 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 a lot it's a lot of lot of funding um and longevity and 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 I worked on it with Bob Goff who was a lawyer and Pat Spears who was 
uh, tribal chairman for uh, Fort, um, where is Fort, oh gosh, where is Low Brule? He was chairman and, um, or maybe it was Fort Thompson, but he was a chairman and he was an educator and he was very respected. And, and um, of course, Elaine Martinez, who is our webmaster, we, they love the idea of, of what became Wolakota and then it became White Buffalo. But we worked and worked and worked on it and then and then they you know, slowly we slipped away and then and then it was um I just kind of put it on a back burner because Orville keeps me busy with World Peace and Prayer Day and these rides and coming of age and, you know, all these other um programs that we've had. And it's just time where I I'm tired out of this heat with the rides and, you know, World Peace and Prayer Day has a life of its own. It isn't that hard for me anymore. Um, people help more than I can you imagine on a grassroots level of dial-up internet trying to organize it in Ireland, you know, and just believing that, you know, you're going, the spirit's going to lead you. But I pulled out many hair trying to make it work, you know, trying to, uh, figure out how we're going to get our elders there and teach and and be with the Irish people and 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 each accomplishment is such a relief. But the process to get there to plant that seed is always a stressful financial burden. And so now it's kind of like it's got a wind of its own now. And you know and um, you know maybe one day we can build a school. But I think what's you know, for now, we know that the first phase has got to be the south direction with the healing with horses because that's when when and if the school does get built, the horse project will be the one that's going to, um, uh, you know, start it with with realizing what we can accomplish on the grassroots level with of education with the plants. And then so when we go into this uh school, you know, there'll be language immersion. And what I had an idea about, we were, we were to Chiapas in Mexico and, um, and we were giving these earphones like, uh, the Uenda and uh, uh, you for translation. Send, yeah. And I realized I was listening to, it wasn't, uh, Hispanic. It was their language in Chiapas. And after like the third day, I start catching on to their language as it simultaneously interpreted it. And even in the different languages that were there, but it was predominant down there, you know, I was like, because there was a lot of speakers conveying to us about their sacred sites and concerns. And I thought, man, that's a good idea. And it becomes a great idea. You know, and, and so it was like, these teachers, if they're teaching about sustainable development or any of those curriculums, I mean, they don't know the language and they're not fluent, but we can hire fluent language speakers in in little modules, you know, uh, uh, in female and male listening to the teacher and then interpreting through the earphone in your ear and um, what the teacher is saying. And... So it's uh, it's kind of Im- imposed on them to learn the language, and there'll be times and periods where they can't speak English. They'll 
the first thing that they'll learn would be sign language, which was prevalent in the Americas, you know, amongst the different tribes. So that would be the first teaching would be sign language. And so the hope is like in one year that they would come out of there. And so it's not just for Lakota, Dakota, Nakota, one of the things I was asked. And I said, well, if the Cheyenne or the Ojibwe wanted to learn from the school, we they could help us write a grant or, or support to get a, a, a female and male speaker in to follow around that their student their students in there and um and so like if a Cheyenne students wanted to come and learn um all what we teach then we they would bring in a Cheyenne female and male and if if an Irish person wanted to teach wanted to learn you know what we're doing to take it back where they're from or you know any of the languages they would bring in an interpreter so that we would stress or if that's all they knew was another language from another country let's say from Chiapas and they just learned Chiapas and they would come in and they would tell them what they were saying in in English you know, so that they would learn English. So, you know, those different um, ways that I felt that language has to be because that's the um, first cultural um, teaching in any any of uh, the world is the word is sacred. And so that sound would be imposed on them again to... Um, learn who they are as a people and their responsibility to their umbilical cord, you know, back through their ancestral ties to the beginning of when it, when ancestors still respected Mother Earth. It's so important. And to communicate with the horses first um, will also open up the intuitive capabilities and gifts that each child has um which will then be useful in every other area of their life i i know that the bigfoot ride stresses the the oneness of rider and horse um to to make um the extraordinary trip in such harsh weather conditions over such a long distance for 2 weeks um that a very specific type of bond and strength is formed. So it makes total sense that you would um, use that as a, as your first uh, building block for what, for what you're doing. Thank you. And your vision is absolutely beautiful. When I read all your materials, I, I absolutely saw it coming to fruition, um, and I love your second floor to the building. I think it represents bringing in the higher the higher realms of thought uh, and spirituality into all the four corners. Um, and you know, just to let you know, I am. Um, committed to helping you in whatever way I can to realize the stream because I feel it's extremely important. 
Well, thank you for seeing the importance of, of I feel right now we our, our own people, everybody, have become detached from the earth of the responsibility of of a gift that's given as a teaching ground. This is only a teaching ground. So even part of that is accepting that when our teachings are over so that it doesn't get snuffed out before we learn anything, that we earn that right to go on because we do live on. And I think that fear-based religion or fear-based mentality of living life has been so um, much misinformed uh, that, you know, the majority of the two-legged have taken advantage of of the gifts that have been given here on Earth. And if they could just come back to some kind of sanity with harmony of, of appreciating life, of appreciating the earning of living on, then it would be an attribute that this school can offer and and I and I just one more thing. I remember we were invited to Quebec to this group of of medicine people, clan mothers, elders that were invited to meet the Kogi by these um, French expeditioners had hosted this meeting when the Kogi first allowed that they existed and they were worried about their sacred lake up in uh, down in Colombia that was now being polluted by by the air and they were wondering what was going on because they detached themselves from uh, even being known they existed and they finally showed themselves to the French. And so they brought three of them to meet us and they they wanted to know what we were doing as relatives, they called us the younger brothers, what we were doing to help save you know, Mother Earth, because it's so important to them. They live off the land. And they were kind of kind of uh, disappointed. <laughs> we're sitting there with chairs and using utensils and modern civilized clothes, you know, and I'm sure they were pretty, um, I guess, uh, sad about it. Third day they left, and there was a man there named Michael Scallion, who was on a retreat. He was on a worldwide tour. He was a world-known psychic, I guess. And he asked to do a circle since we were just kind of milling around since they went in the woods. The three Kogi, they had to take a break from us. And so we took a break that afternoon into the night, and he asked the French people that hosted it if they could do a circle. And Everybody was like, well, you know, nothing else to do, entertainment, and he's a psychic. And, and he had everybody crying. He started to the left of me, and he went around the room, and he was like, I see a bear, I see an eagle, I see this person with this design, you know, this colors, and and they were, like, convinced that he had a gift. And um, then they got to Orvo, and he's the only one. They couldn't see nothing. And it what and he said whatever you have it's not letting me see, as very strong and I'm going to respect that boundary and all I see is something on your back, 
it's huge that you're carrying and you need to find somebody to help you carry it. And that was it. And then it got to me. I was the last one. And he said, uh, he wouldn't say anything. And I felt my face getting so warm because I was so embarrassed. Everybody was staring at me. Everybody had all these, you know, extravagant <laughs> of a bear and an eagle. And I was like, oh, I want an eagle and my grandma's here. And, and he didn't say anything. And I was like, oh, great, you know. Well, maybe it's like horrible. There's a boundary. You can't see me. And, um, and so then he opened his eyes. He said, I know what it is. He said, it's a medicine wheel. I see a building. I see planes, trains, cars coming, and they're taking a seed from all over the world, and they're taking it, and they're they're creating their own. And he opens his eyes, and he said, you need to build that. And and I was like, I don't even know this guy, you know. And I didn't. Have That's it. amazing. Um, it was just on my computer, you know. I don't know this dude. And then you, he's. I was the only one of everybody. He was looking at my feet all the way up to the high, you know, up in the air. And he said, "There's a redwood that's shooting up, and you're being covered with vines and flowers, and and it was the earth, you know. It was." You know, he said, you're being wrapped in all this all this foliage. And he said, you know, it, it's to save uh, life, he said. And I was like, wow. And I thought, I barely, uh, in my mind, I was thinking, I barely uh, remember to water my plant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway. You're too busy to wa- water your plants, Paula. <laughs> yeah, I was like, years ago and and I wrote to him like 10 years ago and he never answered me I said you had a vision of me building this school and I don't even know how to do that I don't even know what to do I don't have the money for that that's crazy can you tell me and at least guide me to what I need to do and and he never answered me so I don't even well he must be alive his name is Michael Scallion and he's probably a really old man now you know that's 20 years ago, I think he's alive anyway. But anyway, he never answered me. So Well, it's so uh, interesting it, because... It the, <laughs> no, no, I see it. I absolutely see it happening. But it's interesting because someone um, on the New Observations podcast um, posted the link of a film called Aluna, which is about the Kogi just a couple days ago. Um, really? It's a movie. Yes, it's a movie that you can watch on YouTube. And I watched it um, a couple of days ago when he posted it. And it's it's an amazing uh, film of the Kogi traveling to London and other places, but also standing up to land developers in Colombia and um, in discussion with um, uh geologists and and earth biologists and basically the things that they're saying about particular areas uh what they see what they're getting messages they're getting intuitively are consistent with geological research on 
particular areas and um and what is happening you know as a river gets blocked up from pollution or uh construction that all of the rivers are supposed to flow to the ocean and the seas and it, it's just this absolutely beautiful um synthesis of of information that we all carry in us on a you know on a spiritual level all this information is within reach within each and every one of us just the way you know the blood throws through, flows through our veins to every area of our bodies um through our heart um it it's mirrored um in in the earth our mother and um it's just a very very beautiful um film of where ley lines for instance are being blocked um but they had a gold thread made that they unraveled you know all over the the globe to reconnect the flow of the um energy lines wow that's and that's what you're doing. That's what Orville is doing. You know, that's what our conference on consciousness is doing. We're we're all doing our work in various places um, around the globe to help support the Earth. Right. Well, we have no choice, and and I don't know what's going to happen, but something's got to happen soon. You know. Yeah, this is the critical moment right now. We're in it. Yeah. Yep, yep. It sure is. Well, I have faith. Uh, I think people are waking up, and I think people are becoming um, activated, which then motivates them to make a stand, and that's the most important thing right now. Yes. It is. So, Paula, how can um, our audience support your projects, your multiple projects that, that you have going, um, your school, your amazing um, White Buffalo uh, Institute, as well as World Peace and, and Prayer, um, and well, your foundation, Horse, Horse Project? Well, right now we just um there was uh um I had a meeting actually with one of our friends that helped with um World Peace and Prayer Day from we met him in Ireland and he's been with us. He's from Australia, he's an Aussie, he's um Irish background and his name is Gerard Williams and Gerard um has been working with a man named Chris Ledoux. And Chris Ledoux is a brainiac. He's a genius, and he's making actually a solar uh, device that it's about as big as a coffee table, and it's kind of it reminds me of a you know those DNA DNA how that looks how it's spiral. Well, it, it's got a flat surface and it spirals, and it's got little tiny solar energy. Uh, devices on it it looks like a beaded solar energy panel and uh-huh. um, it it spins and it it's equivalent to i think he said uh it's equivalent to like 
50 huge solar energy panels, but it's as big as uh, um, a coffee table. And he's wow. now, he patented it, and Stanford University has been um, helping them. They've got to, in order for it to go out on the market, you know, they have to have, you know, their grassroots geniuses, so to speak, they have to get the funding to um, patent it, which they've done. And and his dream is that he's going to get this going and, and it's going to be part of the school and the institute and the kids can learn about it in the West direction of sustainable development and create it as a part-time to, um, to teach them how to make it and, and assemble it and to fund the school. And, you know, that's just Chris's dream. I don't know if that'll ever materialize, but that, so, Chris is significant, Chris Ledoux, because he started um, something called um, Chris Ledoux, or wait, Carl Ledoux Foundation. And Carl was his only child, and he um, was killed in uh, in Asheville, Oregon. Um, he had... Uh, how do you say problems? Um, I, I think he inherited from his father uh, being like a genius, and he couldn't shut off his mind. You know, uh, it's like a. I think I wish I had that gift, eh, though. <laughs> but he was like super intelligent, and and he got depressed from it because he and so he was on medication. He didn't like the medication you know, because it slowed down his mind. And then right. he, got caught, it caught up, he got caught up in the drugs, you know, and um, it, experiencing, um, this is like about 25, 35, 30 years ago, and he was crossing the street like a block away from his home, and um, the police just shot him. And he was like collaring and just shot him. They didn't try to, you know, like, I didn't know if they had those zapping things yet or what, but he was just flailing his arms, and and it was unnecessary. Um, and they, I think he took him to court, and he, I think he won. I'm not po- positive, but it was an, uh, unnecessary because, you know, he was documented. He was having problems, but he was so devastated him and his wife and um so he said you know i want to help you create this for our young people to um he's part cherokee and he said i want to you know do this so he made this foundation and he had other before he met us he made that that carl carl um to donate to different causes for young people and then uh he let it go and then when he met us and he really he just loved Orville and his work and so he said this next one I'm going to activate this nonprofit and we're going to name it well at that time it was when he met us it was well Dakota you know Carl Ledoux and um but now we just chose our board um and it has a legitimate nonprofit number, and we haven't, you know, 
we've always, after the org phased out, we've always been underneath Spirit Foundation, but those have been for our ride and our coming of age. And our, we just started a canoe journey. We're, um, you know, getting canoes uh to you know because not everybody runs walks or rides horse you know we wanted to right create some for kids you know and so canoe journey where and where i live there's a lot of water you know and so it's we were known as canoe people so we spirit foundation helps us with that but um with this with the school and it's with healing with horses we are going to start out where I'm going to be on a board. It's usually an umbrella that oversees our work, which I really like, you know, because I get all this help from the board. But now we're going to um, take on this task of overseeing it, and I feel it's really important to get a solid board to oversee this vision because, you know, those are like projects. This is a, a vision, and... So now it's activated. We have our nonprofit number, and now we've got to get funds to make a website and talk about the school and the healing with horses, and um, all of it is now being formalized so we can legitimately walk forward to fundraising towards the healing with horses first, and um, hopefully one day somebody will will give us something major to build the um, institute, the White Buffalo Institute, and before I leave this earth, I'm hoping it happens <laughs> anyway. Like, I think it will. I I definitely think I definitely think it will. So if people want to support you and get involved in some way, the best thing for them to do at this moment is to contact you directly at at your Gmail account, I would think. Yes, and and then by then hopefully I could um we and like I said we're just starting to fundraise and um That's you know, great. towards so we're like opening a bank account um I told him I uh one of the board members I would donate the 100 and we would open it and we have our nonprofit now and it does have you know, some history to it, which just has been dormant for a while. And um, so we could move forward with it. But like I said, it's just now um, activating. And maybe in the future I could get back with you, you know, what the website is. Wouldn't that be grand if we could? Oh, absolutely. Well, so I, I also... <laughs> I, yeah, I was just about to add, uh, you know, our website for the Thunderheart Center for the Arts. Um, I I actually bar- bartered with a web de- a wonderful web designer who designed our website. I had skills that um, they needed, and and they had um, you know the the skills in terms of building a website. So that worked out really well. And um, what I've what I found um, and fundraising is part of my background. Among other things, I created Art Walk New York, which raises approximately a million dollars a year for Coalition for the Homeless. But um, if you put it out there, um, the universe has a wonderful way of bringing it back to you. So um, you're putting it out there right 
right now, here and now, and um, I I do see this as as being successful and coming coming together. So, what pretty it's a huge, wonderful it's project? Like a, it, it's kind of like it to me. It's so huge, and I can't. I when I first, you know. You know, I and Bob Goff and Pat and Elaine were creating this. We just, I, as as we kept coming up with numbers and they said, what do you see in there? What do you see? What do you see? And they would tap my brain. And it was all the way down to the cooking stove and and their bed and, you know, their desk. And, I mean, you know, I was like up for days, you know, saying it would cost this much and that much. And then I just, one day I, after everything, and especially when they passed away, I really got sad. And I just thought, you know, I don't know what that Michael Scallion is. <laughs> 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 but, you know, I don't know, maybe my kids will do this, you know. And so meeting you and all those wonderful people that are like-minded like you and what you've created, it, it just creates an awareness that there's there's maybe possibility and and I when I travel through cities or even towns and you look at I, I look at buildings you know these you know you go downtown Minneapolis and they got these huge buildings or banks and you know the and I think gosh look at these guys they just put up this building you know and they have all these workers and they just design it and and it's at their fingertips, and it's like, yeah, if it could only be like that for us, you know. And I just, even just for homes, for the homeless, I think, God, you know, just give one of those big buildings to the homeless, you know, solve it. Right. <laughs> well, so that's the thing. We have we have the solutions for all of our problems. We just have to approach them in a new in a new way with a new attitude and. Uh, as as you said earlier, being thankful, gratitude is such an important piece of of the equation. And I've had this dream of creating an artist in residency program for for twenty years, and it was coming out here um, and um, inviting my partners Larry and Adelaide Fuss to the conference last year. Um, that we put the pieces together. Larry came out to Wasta and in a day bought all these buildings, not knowing what he was going to do with them. And then I showed up um, and wrote this little proposal. And here we are, you know, opening the, uh, the artist in residency program. So um, maybe we could, we could be in conjunction later and, you know, to, I definitely, yes, I definitely see there's a a huge connection. And and last week I had an amazing um, conversation with a a professor from Cornell University um, who comes out to Pine Ridge regularly. Our, Our goal is also to have college and college students and graduate students come and um, do their artwork here, but also spend time on Pine Ridge. So to bring them here to this powerful place and then have them interact and do art projects um, with the young people specifically on Pine Ridge and and go back 
and share their experience with others, you know, this is all part of expanding consciousness and awareness and energetically opening up, you know, new ley lines of possibilities all around the globe. So that's what we're doing. Right. And so, you know, maybe, you know, in the future, you know, we will, it can be, um, I know one of the things that, that Michael Scallion said, they'll take a piece of it and, and go back, but it has to be from, for me, Orville is important because that's the nucleus and, and to take a part of that energy and then take it back and have a, a pod. So let's say in the future, like if it became successful, um, there would be like a building built on these different reservations and they, with a teacher and then they would, you know, where, whether it's in Ireland or, you know, Pine Ridge or, Cheyennes and the kids would go there and then they would learn about sustainable development, you know, through a huge screen and, you know, virtual, you know, and, right. and having people like those graduates go on their reservation and create a mini school and, you know, and to, to teach about like what, you know, uh, uh, what, what was Henry Red Cloud, you know, teach about solar energy or, Right. Teach about what Chris Ledoux is doing with this solar energy unit. Um, you know, so it's for everybody, you know, to see what each other's doing, you know, on, and APTN would be worldwide. You know, they don't know that. Right. I'm probably posing on them, but, you know, I really feel that they've run down a lot in their archives of creation. And, you know, I remember when I go up and check in a hotel and turn on APTN. They have their own newscast, new and then they go to, you know, uh, interviewing an elder way out in the bush and showing how they um, fish and, you know, bring in things and, you know, how they cook back then or in the Arctic or, I mean, you know, all those things. Or they talk about the the impact of the what's going on with the environment. So, I mean, all those teachings are there that APTN gives, but they don't even have ours. We have all these tribes down here that can add to that archive and, you know, that educational pool. And so I Absolutely. I like like working together and not in competition and um, enhancing each other. And so I'd like to one day, you know, maybe one day we'll have that type of communication in our schools and, you know, uh, we'll bring back the umbilical cords of many people. Absolutely. That's that's what mankind, womankind, that's what humanity is crying out for at this moment in time, that that connection that we're born with that um, has not been severed but is, is definitely clogged and we need to open it up again. Right. <clears throat> well, Paula, is there anything you'd like to add before we close? Um, I think we've covered a lot. <laughs> we have. Uh, um, <laughs> um, you know, I, 
I think, you know, in the future, worldpeaceandprayer.com will have a link to our new website. Um, I've got to get a webmaster. I don't, I don't know if my friend will make us another one. She kind of did it volunteer, but, um, you know, we're, we're going to move fast now because we had our first meeting and, and hopefully we can get some funding first for Healing with Horses. And if you want to communicate with me, um, um, you could communicate at, um, uh, you know what? I'm going to give you Arvo's email because I have to give him one and I get so much junk mail with my email. But for this, okay. this one, I think it should be one that isn't, has so much traffic. So his email is Arvo, A-R-V-O-L. L H, so it's Arvo Looking Horse. Um, so it's Arvo A R V O L L H at gmail dot com. Okay, and, and we'll and post I, that. Yeah, we'll post that and with so, your interview as well. Right, and so I could check and communicate, so I know that you know um, it's specifically for our work here with you. Okay, wonderful. Well, Paula, thank you so much. It's been such an honor to have you on on the show. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to all that we're going to um, accomplish together. Two 64-year-old women. I turned 64 this year, too. So, Oh, wow. Nice. <laughs> yep. Two peas in a pod. 